everyone. Welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss Kevin and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. everybody welcome to episode 86 here this is episode 86 he's the voice of god on earth morgan freeman 86 oh. all right i'm morgan freeman Perfect. it's a good one it's a pretty Perfect. solid freeman thank you he's the voice of god on earth pope francis is 86 <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> god and god double god Double God. Let's see. Angelica Houston was always too good for him. Jack Nicholson is 86. Oh, mm-hmm. oh whack. Mm-hmm. Another perennially handsome man, always handsome, into his 80s, Robert Redford, 86. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The All eternal right, running mm-hmm. joke in Betty White's interviews. She was always asked the kind of question, you've been in this job for like X years. What haven't you done? And her answer was always Robert Redford. (laughs) That's a good joke, Betty. That's a good joke. Oh, Betty, what a treasure. Well, the first time ever I saw her face, she was less than 86. But now she's 86. Roberta Flack is 86. Lovely. Lovely. Beautiful. (laughs) We got some crappies. Of course, they always live longest. He's listed as religious leader on famousbirthdays.com, but uh, private jet grifter Kenneth Copeland is 86, as is Billiam Cosby. (laughs) Yeah, we got some bad ones. We got some bad ones on 86. You know what? Let's let's end on a positive note. Vanessa Redgrave is 86. Okay. That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Good That's for her. Good. Beautiful. Good Wonderful. For good for her. Good for her. <laughs> it's different. Beautiful. It's unusual. It's different. It's unusual. Yes. Hey, well, what the heck did everyone do with this past since we've last seen each other? Well, you'll be surprised to know that <gasps> not a lot has happened over here. I took not a, lot. a week's staycation. <laughs> Except a big thing in your life happens television wise oh my god yes 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 Edie finally second season of Heartstoppers was out I took off Tuesday through Friday I originally had the idea to take off because Heartstoppers was released on Thursday Amanda girlfriend of the pod and I took off work just so we could watch the second season together and binge it all in one spot. And of course we did. And it was so fucking lovely. It is so much less like just like cutesy getting together. The first season was just 
and they dealt with some heavier things, but it was mainly just like, look how fucking cute we are and how cute we get together and look at the jealousy of everyone. This wow. is more Pinky so. Pinky touches about. Yes. Yes. And it's got all of the sweet tenors in it in the second season, but we're dealing with like real life now. And okay. it's really good. Like Nick being our rugby boy coming out and him dealing with that all season. And then oh, Kit Connor is so good. He's just so, so good. good. He's so good and so cute. And real life bicon, which we always love to see. Real life bicon. Um, yes, real life bicon. There's just a lot of representation. There's the bicon, there's a sexual representation, there's obviously the trans representation. Mm-hmm. We get flirty teachers this season. I could talk Ooh. for seven teachers hours. flirting with other teachers, right? Other yes, adults? Yes, 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 yes. This is Thank at God. the end of the day a wholesome show even if it does deal with heavy issues and there's like eating disorder stuff. Every shitty thing that is dealt with is dealt with beautifully, like beautifully. Oh, beautiful. Anyway. So if you haven't already go watch Heartstopper, highly, highly recommend. But other than that, I was off all week. So I really broke in some of my new dad shirts and I broke in my new socks, which was just a tip top for me. Wow, I'm so glad we got a shirt and sock update from last week's huge reveal. Thanks, Dad. Just nice dad shirt, nice fluffy new socks. Like, it's the dream over here. Mm. But yeah, yeah, what'd y'all do? How was your week? <laughs> Estelle may or may not have eaten a squeaker. Ah, We didn't see oh. her eat the squeaker. Uh-huh. We cannot find the squeaker. But she has been for the past two days pooping normally with no squeaker in the poop, eating Uh normally, and acting normally. And so we are in, uh, we're having just a terrible Schrodinger's squeaker time where she both has and has not eaten the squeaker unless and until we find the squeaker somewhere. Mm -hmm. It how's could poops? be wishing her poops. I was going to say, how, how's digging and poop going? It's not great. I don't recommend digging through your dog's poops. And she's been looking either. at us do it like, why? Uh, like, it's your fault, Estelle. It's your fault. You're not supposed to do that. Get out of there. Just tell us your secrets. I wouldn't have to dig through your shit. Yeah. Exactly. Just tell us in English whether or not you ate the squeaker. I just need a yes or no. We just need a yes or a no. Even Spanish will understand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I would get it. I've and Mm -hmm. I've done like a week's worth of Duolingo in Korean. So if she gives me some Korean, maybe. Okay. Look at yeah, all those K dramas. Uh, Are you able to like start following along? A little bit. I know like a few a few words, and I know like the. I can recognize at this point the tiniest bit of Thai because I've been watching so many Thai dramas. <laughs> Do you watch RuPaul's Drag Race Thailand or Drag Race Thailand? I actually? did not. I did Man. not. But I would. I would be interested. I would be interested yeah. in that. Um, Thailand has so many uh, boys' love dramas, most of which are trash, trash. Yeah. But some of them, them are good. Some of them are bad. A good one is called Not Me. It's from 2021. That's pretty good. Cool. 
I are haven't finished it. Are they just problematic? Is, the, is that why they're trash? A lot are problematic. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, – some of these writers are like, he's drunk or asleep, perfect time uh, to yeah. touch him. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not a good time. And, like, it's <laughs> in line with the kind of, like, bodice ripper type mm-hmm. trope like f- in, in romance generally of, like, the first time we I were shouldn't alone. want it, but I do. It's bad for me. For the viewer, I guess it's supposed to be, like, a consensual, non-consent right. kind of deal, right. like, yeah. for from the viewer's perspective. Like, it's mm-hmm. safer to want when you don't actively want but like yeah, in you're the, not the universe to be gay. you're not gay. right gay but in the universe of <laughs> the show it's not cool at all no. well damn that's that's good i'm glad that you're learning all these new languages and you're gonna be i guess just just globetrotting eventually good for you well with my weekend i spent it for the third weekend in a row, I went to the movie theaters to see a film. Uh, two wow. weeks ago, we did Barbenheimer. So that was two uh-huh. in one day. But then last week, I saw that new uh, horror film, Talk to Me. And oh, that was really... It? it was great. I enjoyed it. And it was spooky. It looks fabulous. And it's very smart. And I, I, I liked it a lot. And then this weekend, Big Library and I went to go and see Meg 2. The trench, because so is the shark a trench? No, they they live in the trench, and this movie they they are going down into it because apparently that's where all the megalodons typically have been living for all these millions of years below this like thermo like DMZ, and <laughs> for some reason a hole got blown into it, and that's why the Megs were able to come around. Into so our it's waters. like a hollow earth theory, but for the deep ocean. Oh, yeah. And and it has as Sharknado much scientific accuracy and honesty as a hollow earth convention. They go down 25,000 feet. And Jason Statham convinces the Jesus. team that he's going to be able to, without his... Uh, gear or anything, any mask or anything, he's just going to be able to quickly swim out from one portal, one porthole to another one because things got locked and and they were blowing up or something. So he was going to swim 25,000 feet underwater without any protective gear or nothing. Yeah, this movie was made before the Titan submersible imploded. And they didn't edit anything out. And there are sure a lot of like, Moments where we're like, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> because had that yeah, stupid Titan thing not lot. happened, people would be like, yeah, it makes sense. The people <laughs> making this movie were probably watching all of that Ocean Gate unfold and they're like, this is actually going to be okay for us, TV yeah, age. No. <laughs> yeah, we're not no, going to change a damn thing. We are fine. <laughs> the people who are coming to this movie are not going to mind. No, yeah, and the worst that can happen is Twitter engagement about like Neil deGrasse Tyson concern tweeting about how it's inaccurate. Yeah, it's made for pure entertainment value. Well, isn't it like um, Xing now? It's X. Well, it's it's post. They what? They took away the tweet button and replaced it with post. So it's all very. I thought he said they were calling them X's now. 
company is called X. The company's called X. He's wanted it to be, he's wanted X to be an everything app since he spent $1 million on the domain X.com in 1999. But back then, Peter Thiel was like, that's stupid. But now he doesn't have a Peter Thiel. He's, he's on his own. going all in. God damn it. We're fucked. It's great. Yeah, if you're going to the Meg for the scientific accuracy, I think I think you're you've got other problems. Oh yeah, absolutely. So don't do that. Everyone that was yeah. in the theater with us were all of one mind. We were there for Good. the same reason, and it was a great time. <laughs> and here we're in episode eighty six. I'm very excited for us to be here. Yeah. right now doing our thing. We're just chugging right along here. still. You want to hear about some crimes that are true? I would yeah, love to. I'm would. sitting back this week. I'm the uh, audience proxy. So just oh, yeah. throw things at me like I am the cops and you're a bunch of drag queens. Throw your heels, ladies. Now, I should say investigations that are true. Oh, God. Oh, the investigations are true. Okay. Is this going to be more? Okay. Picture it. God. Newport, Rhode Island, March yes! 16th, 1919. My goodness. <laughs> I know. Miss knows exactly what we're talking list. about. God damn it. I knew that I had to get to it before. <laughs> Y'all have to stop listening to the same things yeah, to get no, the same We've been listening to the we've exact been same to the podcast things. for like six years. So, yeah. yeah. So, we are uh, so we, too often uh, of one mind. And so, we are also too all often I need in is competition. All I need is a state and a date. And I know where we are and what we're doing. State and date. Let state me know. State and date, please. Picture it. Newport, Rhode Island, March 16th, 1919. Okay. 14 young Navy recruits met in secret in a basement x-ray room of the Naval Hospital. Newport was a Navy town, you see. Ooh, yes. These 14 recruits sat anxiously waiting for information on their new assignment. Senior operatives told them that these oh, brave volunteers were I think free I know to leave this is. if they couldn't handle this important oh mission. Oh my God, I do know it. Uh-huh. Their mission, if they chose to accept it, to join a covert operation to rid Newport of what command called cocksuckers and rectum receivers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they took the Navy to cure homosexuals. By infiltrating the homosexuals. Oh, I can't wait to hear all about it. Yes. This team would be called Section A. And they were under the authority of the Office of Naval Intelligence. But let's back up. Yeah, back it up into me. Just a month earlier, in February 1919, Chief Petty Officer Irvin Arnold, a 14-year Navy veteran in his 40s, was being treated at that same hospital for severe rheumatism. (gasps) Poor guy. While he was convalescing, he started to get suspicious. He first met an effeminate young sailor in the hospital, Samuel Rogers. After talking with others, Arnold discovered that Samuel was known around town as a pogue or a punk, which are early 20th century terms for a man who likes to be anally penetrated. 
<laughs> we got your bottoms. I, I don't folks. know any of them. I don't know any of them. Never heard Kevin's of him. Never, never heard met him. Of never of seen him. Never met him. Never heard of her. Been never heard of it. Never seen him. Samuel was a real Alistair Crowley, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Another patient Arnold met that week, Thomas Brunel, mentioned the names of other guys he knew who liked guys, and heavily implied that Newport was a great place for gay hookups and parties. Hell yeah. Arnold was disgusted. How dare he? Bad taste in his mouth. Where is this bad, bad film taste in my mouth? Once he got out of the hospital, Arnold started collecting data. Is that what they called it? Yes, data samples. <laughs> you wait for all the data they're going to sample gonna in this story. Really We're going to derail though. this story very, this very so often this hard. time. I know this story. I love this story. Oh, it's Kevin. so good. Derail away because this story is derail me hard, baby. Derail me all night. Derail me. (laughs) It's one of them episodes, listeners. Mm -hmm. Sit back. So Arnold found out that Thomas Brunel's steady Billy Hughes was nicknamed Salome and regularly paid Thomas (laughs) for sex. Hell yeah. Arnold also met Fred Hogue, also known as Theta Barra, and John Janinal. John Genital? Pogue the Pogue. John Giannaloni, nicknamed Gen- Ruth. Both yes. were said to be real good at sucking dick. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, can I just pause and talk about what's his name, Arnold? Yeah. So he's in the hospital, and he yes. just had dudes coming in his room just talking about all the nasty, stanky sex they're having with other men. I Bedside think that, manners. I think that it's one of those like hospital rooms that are kind of like open plan. Sure. Oh, okay. Yes. And with multiple beds. And I think he's overhearing guys talk to each other. And then he's like feigning interest mm-hmm. and kind of Again. like, oh, hey, what's, uh, what's his deal? Feigning. Call me a yes. skeptic. But why would men in 1919 be openly talking about all the great gay sex they're having when it's illegal? Was it in code or? You can sail the seven seas in the Navy. navy. Set your mind at ease. They got these cute little butts and their cute little bell bottoms. You can set your mind at ease in the Navy hospital in Newport. I think it was kind of at the time a very open secret that that Newport was a spot for uh, sailors and others to get while the get their leg over sailors and the the pokes who love them. Jay Goldstein, also known as Becky. Hell yeah. Of course she was. Well, everyone said that Becky had a nice chin to rest a pair of balls on. Hmm. Nice and manly. Frank Dye was said to be so good that he could suck your brains right out your cock. Hell yeah. I, what are oh we doing here? God, I want that on my gravestone. Kevin. <laughs> These guys were known <laughs> as the ladies of Newport. <laughs> they were self-described fairies or openly effeminate men. 
and they tended to favor trade. Yes, yes they did. Apparently, the term mm-hmm. trade is at yep. least a hundred years old, and I yes, did not know that until researching this story. Big Library can tell you all about it. He's a queer historian, trade is y'all. Long as time. Well, that's you know, Big Library is a queer historian. This Listeners, is, this if is you business. have any it's queer historical questions, email us at creepyinquiriespod at gmail dot com, and I will make sure those questions get answered by Big Library. He is truly has encyclopedic knowledge of gay history, particularly East Coast U.S. gay history. Yes. Mm-hmm. Though I'm no big library, I can say that back then at least, trade refers to masculine guys who existed kind of outside of the existing stigmas against gay men mm-hmm. because so they, were, they were more typically masculine and they always took penetrative roles during sex yeah. and never receptive ones so they were seen as less perverted. toxic masculinity toxic masculinity strikes right. again. again that old chestnut and it's dick. not gay if a man is sucking my cock no it's not because i ain't doing the it's sucking. just a hole there's a great onion headline that i think of all the time why do all these homosexuals keep sucking my cock? Yeah. <laughs> you you know, one day you just wake up and you're like, I did, how does this keep happening to me? And this story, if this story were uh, summed up in one onion headline, it would be, why do these co- homosexuals keep yeah. sucking my cock? <laughs> I- <laughs> and why do I keep... Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Irvin Arnold became obsessed. He was a true homophobe with in sucking that way. cock? A sucking dicking cock. With cocksuckers and rectum receivers. Mm-hmm. He was a true homophobe in that way. He had a terror and an anxiety about homosexual activities that caused him to obsess. Mm-hmm. And Arnold mm-hmm. was far from alone in his fear of gayness in the early 20th century. Mm. Oh, God, no. It was a literal fear. I don't think a lot of people really register that these days. Like we hear homophobia and that things are homophobic a lot, but the true root of the word of homophobia is a fear. It is a real fear. It's no longer that. You're right. No, now it's just, you, you don't like it. Now it's bigotry. You know what it is. Right. Right. Because back then they didn't know anything about it. Ergo, they're afraid of it because you fear what you don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about this fear in the early 20th century. Sigmund Freud, the guy everyone touted at the time heard as the expert on human sexuality, ever heard of him? <laughs> I took an entire seminar in college on Freud, and it was quite fascinating. And what Miss was just saying, too, it's quite often now proven otherwise. We'll say. Theories have really? been good theories. He's been debunked. Have- because he published bit. a work in 1905 called Three Contributions to the Sexual Theory, in which he described heterosexuality as ideal and homosexuality as unnatural. Yeah. I don't doubt that for a second. I don't. And it's from that definition that heterosexuality actually formed into the negative in connotation it had in decades after that when heterosexuality was actually viewed as as um basically a man who is obsessed quote unquote 
yeah, mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. sex too. Like mm-hmm. it was a man who wanted sex not for reproduction. Yeah. Missed. It's so funny that we are going to touch on a guy who kind of thought that in a throwaway oh. line later with our words. In oh. Yes. This nice. story. Okay. All right. All right. Nice. That's so funny. <laughs> Love when I'm The 1909 right. Merriam-Webster dictionary defined homosexuality as a medical term meaning morbid sexual passion for one of the same sex. Ooh. Like Gomez and Morticia. That, uh-huh. Yeah, like a gothic passion. I'm not even like <laughs> offended by that. I think Morticia. that's wonderful. Anybody? I just rewatched Wednesday. Go watch it if you haven't. Really cute. So people were scared in the early 1900s, especially for their children. Mm, Glad we got over the children. That. Remember, folks, when people cry out, what about the children? It's never about the children. It's always a smokescreen. Parents wanted to keep their young boys safe from this moral rot, especially for those young men entering the military. This fear was so widespread that in June 1917, then Assistant Secretary of the Navy Franklin Delano Roosevelt ever heard of him? (laughs) Wrote an article in Ladies Home Journal called I'm sure she did. What the Navy (laughs) can do for your boy. What was she doing in there? (laughs) Why was she in Ladies Home? Well, you know what? To be fair, Ladies Home Journal used to be a very I mean, didn't he have a little lilt in his step and it wasn't because of the little sickness? No, who was I mean Eleanor Eleanor really mm, she 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 got she got what she needed. She was transvestigated before transvestigated was she was deeply transvestigated for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. So I I don't know what what FDR's deal was, but he definitely did write an article in Ladies Home Journal called (laughs) What the Navy Can Do for Your Boy. Oh my god. It's not a lady hole. It's not a boy hole. It's a man hole. In the Navy. Men go down there. You can sail the seven seas. (laughs) Well, the main thing FDR said that the Navy could do for your boy is protect him from so-called moral depravity, which was a well-known dog whistle term for homosexuals. Do you know what happens when you stick a bunch of early 20-some men in a giant ship in the middle of the ocean for six months? They fuck each other. They get to fucking. So I don't know what he was talking about. They fuck each other. They never would. These good Christian men, they never Never would. Never in the history of the military... Two men of military stature ever, ever touched each other sexually. Alexander the Great, who? Alexander the Mid. (laughs) Alexander the Gate. The Gate. So Irvin Arnold also had the resume to turn his own obsession with gays into an investigation. Arnold had almost 15 years of Navy service, and before he'd enlisted, he worked for nine years as a detective in Connecticut. So once Arnold had information about the ladies of Newport, he decided to report his findings to the higher-ups. But how do you Mm. prove sodomy? Well. Prove it. Oh, I'm sure she can prove it. I'm sure she's got all the receipts. (laughs) 
In Newport, sailors who committed immoral acts were tried for vagrancy and lewd acts. If they were actually caught in the act of sucking or fucking, they were tried for sodomy and put in prison. And the 1919 revisions to the Articles of War made sodomy a felony. Yes. So. And and just to piggyback on my story of Lawrence v. Texas, y'all, it's all connected people. It is all so connected. connected. I was thinking about Lawrence v. Texas as I wrote mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And remember, sodomy is just not anal sex. It's anything that is not reproductive sex. It's mouth stuff, yep. foot it's stuff, sex. tit stuff, intercrural stuff, I bet. Yeah. Intercrural stuff, yeah. Yeah. I think Oscar Wilde was a big fan of thigh Well, stuff. that's what the Romans get were mostly it. fans of. They thought that actually penetrating like a man was to debase them. So they were Weak, actually weaklings. Yeah, it would make them weak or effeminate. So intercrural sex was actually more common um, in Roman times. Well, Arnold convinced superiors that the only way to get evidence that would hold up in court was to launch an undercover operation. And so we return to that basement room in that Navy hospital in March of 1919. These 14 recruits Was it met. undercover or was it under the covers? There she is. There's that I was doing my thing. Oprah question, my silent silence thing. Sorry, go ahead. These 14 recruits met Arnold's stated criteria. His ideal undercover operative would be in his late teens or early 20s, definitely not over 30. <laughs> Definitely a twink. Twink. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was more important for him to be handsome than for him to be smart. And twink. he had to be willing to put himself in awkward situations for the good I of bet. the Navy. Yeah. Yeah. I've never met anyone like that. <laughs> He's looking for just 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 this little mini battalion of himbos. Just uh-huh. he just wants like some nice With taxpayer pretty... dollars. Yeah, Our taxpayer dollars are paying yep. these himbos. <laughs> you good work if you can get it. Now that's freedom. Yeah. <laughs> now on paper, Section A's work fell into three information gathering categories. First, on cocaine joints and liquor sellers. Second, on female sex workers. And third, on cocksuckers and rectum receivers. <laughs> and they're specifically... Now, I know this is a Navy operation, so they're only going to be looking after men. But the, the scare of the time was truly directed towards men, was it not? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think... Women because at, were at not... this time, it was kind of... Uh, f- that women had sexuality independent of yeah. mm-hmm. this is how independent I become a of mother. Making babies. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was not really, uh, not really, not wasn't even like scientific no. thought. No, yeah. I know. Yeah. I just wanted, I just wanted to make sure because you hear all of this and I know it's the Navy, so I know it's men, but you know what? We did have the lavender scare later on. Mm-hmm. So lesbians we were a threat later on. Nice. Nice. And that's what we call equality. Equality, bitches. That's what equality means to me. That's what it is. It's so sad. It's coming back. So on paper, Section A had kind of these three 
things that they were supposed to be looking into. But once the project got underway, those first two categories were all but ignored in favor of homosexual hunting. (laughs) Just cruising. You are being paid by the Navy to go cruising. I don't know why you're saying that, miss, because starting (laughs) on March 17th, 1919 and continuing through the summer, these Navy operatives would hang around the local YMCA, made dates, went to parties, and, well, each undercover operative had to do the following. Oh, God. Observe all and ears open for all conversation and make himself free with this class of men being jolly and good-natured being careful to pump these men for information, making them believe that he is what is termed in the Navy as a boy humper, making dates with them, and so forth. Do you know what's incredible? Pump that boy. Written down. down. I am an open-minded, open-eared, mask boy hunter. That's who I am. It's fun to stay at the YMCA. Yeah, it's fun to stay at the YMCA. I wonder why the YMCA always had a connotation to it. You can get your dick sucked. You can have a good meal. You can do whatever <laughs> you feel. So, in other words, these operatives were supposed to entrap gay men through sex. Were they supposed to have sex with them? Yes. No, wait, really? They were actually yes. supposed to have sex with them? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because you have to prove it. You it, needed it, the evidence. I can prove it because I was the one fucking him. You need yes. the evidence. <laughs> oh, guys, I get asked this a lot. Why do you go into law? Because the law is fucking crazy. This is amazing. <laughs> it's illegal unless you're doing it for your government. The operatives were encouraged to have sex with other Navy men to identify the cocksuckers and reckoning receivers and the ringleaders of this gang, arranging from time to time meetings so as to catch them in the act. Wait, let me do that again with military voice. Okay. The operatives were encouraged to have sex with other Navy men to identify the... Cocksuckers and rectum receivers and the ringleaders of this gang arranging from time to time meetings so as to catch them in the act. <laughs> you know, you're like milit super like man military voice. It's kind of why are you so obsessed? Is it working? That's like it's from working. the it's beginning of time. Yeah, why are you so obsessed with me? They have been obsessed yeah. with gay sex. Why yeah. do these homosexuals keep sucking my cock? <laughs> All that and more <laughs> tonight at a 10. Memoir. <laughs> a Navy the memoir. operatives took detailed notes and yeah, reported sure back did. to their superiors. As Miss intimated before, the operatives themselves, of course, were assured that they wouldn't be punished for their activities. Attorney General Palmer protected them by differentiating between the acts of those guys accused of homosexuality and the government agents who were considered feigned accomplices. So they Mm. basically had government immunity. Right. A feigned accomplice isn't a real accomplice because, Attorney General Palmer wrote... The feigned accomplice lacks criminal intent, an absolute necessary element in every crime, except where the legislature provides otherwise. 
His intent is not evil, but meritorious, since it is in aid, not in obstruction of justice. This principle, being general and all-embracing, applies to unnatural sexual crimes as well as to others. The abhorrent disgust which such crimes excite may make the burden heavier upon the apparent accomplice to show that his true intent yeah. was not criminal, but it does not deprive him of the right to justify himself by showing he acted as an agent of the government under the orders of his superior officers in order to detect and punish crimes against the government. Yeah, he's just getting his dick yeah, yeah, they're getting If them you're all getting your dick sucked for Uncle Sam, it's not gay. Call me Uncle Sam. Call me Uncle Sam. Call him Uncle Sam. Just do it. Just like once. Just try it out. Be open minded. I want you to suck these dicks. <laughs> I love that you gave up on it. You like you just wouldn't let yourself finish it. I was I want too you to suck vulgar. <laughs> Yeah, okay. okay. You are a Longer. teacher and a mentor. You are a good Christian woman. I'm a good Christian woman. Christian woman. I'm a woman of talent, intellect, and energy. I'm a mentor. Now, if you're getting your dick sucked for Uncle Sam, that's not gay. But if you're sucking dick because you like it, mm, gay. That's hella gay. I think a lot of people g- 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 gay. <laughs> On the night of April 14th, 1919, Arnold, in concert with members of the Newport Police Department, sped through town in an ambulance to catch suspects by surprise. (laughs) By the end of that night, yeah, he's just hanging out the side of an ambulance, hunting gays. They're peeping toms. Seriously. The perverts. At this point, they're 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 relying on the notes. And the memories of the operatives. They're not necessarily, like, catching everybody in the act. They're they're allowing the operative to do that, take detailed notes, report back, and then based on that account, make a bunch of arrests all at once. And that's what they did. By the end of that night, Arnold apprehended... So they were using the ambulance as a paddy wagon. Yes, exactly. The ambulance is a paddy wagon. And by the end of that night, Arnold apprehended over 20 accused sailors and imprisoned them on a ship in disrepair, the USS Boxer. Mm. All of these so-called deviants would remain imprisoned, no matter whether the court of inquiry recommended courts martial for them. They remained in solitary confinement aboard the Boxer for three months and 21 days before they even got official charges of uh, sodomy and scandalous conduct. Well, they operate under a different law system. Yes and no. Yeah. Friends and family of the accused tried to raise the alarm about the denial of due process and the terrible conditions of confinement. One incarcerated person, Jeremiah Fowler, and his father wrote multiple times to Secretary of the Navy Josephus Daniels. Jesus. <clears throat> Josephus. That's a hell of a name, Josephus that Daniels. That sure is. That's a drag Josephus name. Daniels imprisons gays on a Navy ship. <laughs> like that's, that's I, I'm reading that book. Fowler's dad wrote, it is unjust for them to be held so long without doing anything. He stressed that Jeremiah wrote Washington every 10 days for the last month, but only received the reply that they are very busy down there. 
Actually, next time, why don't you just not send me a reply? Okay? Because that's bullshit. Fowler Sr. wrote Secretary Daniels that since the boys had been on the boxer, there had been spies and guards watching them all the time, trying to get some evidence that they could use against them. I don't doubt that. The elder Fowler also wrote that some of the incarcerated boys had been ill from the food given them, and they think it was poison. As a result, there is an infection of ringworms on the ship, and Jerry, Jeremiah, has a severe case on his face and neck. Jesus. While these men waited in confinement, Arnold's group got more support from up top. In particular, (laughs) from Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the same guy who promised readers of Ladies Home Journal that the Navy would protect these mother's boys from the scourge of homosexuality. The mama's boys? What? Mama boy says what? Protected all those mother boys. Mother boys. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just mother boy. It's mother boy 30. There's high to be (laughs) upon her knee, mother and boy, mother boy boy 30. We had to have a mother boy interlude. We had to. Mother boy, 30. FDR gave his permission and allotted extra funds for Section A's work, which had then expanded their operations beyond downtown Newport and started investigating people outside the Navy's purview. So just regular Joe's. <laughs> Everybody's in trouble. Even though some citizens were concerned about the conditions of confinement for those men who were uh, rounded up in April, including Senator Max Levy of Rhode Island, the first trial didn't begin until more than six months later in October 1919. Then around 15 men were tried and convicted of various crimes. Frank Dye was found guilty of three acts of oral coition, constituting scandalous conduct tending to the destruction of good morals. Sounds hot. I'm in. Well, Dye received a 20-year sentence, but President... <gasps> I'm not in. ...reduced his time to five years, three months. So... Fair. No harm. Uh-huh. Fair. That's a fair charge, trial... It's a compromise, really. ...incarceration. The same thing happened fair. to David Goldstein... Also, when one accused person, Albert Veal, changed his testimony, sailor Fred Hogue received a lesser penalty for drug possession. So I'm not sure oh, so what exactly like, yeah, happened. No, I blew him, but he bought Coke from me. So what are we doing? And th- these guys were encouraged to um, rat on each other or... Oh, um, okay. And depending on what they... What testimony they gave to about somebody they really wanted, uh, maybe they could get a break. So I think Fred Hogue may have been one who uh, was made to testify about somebody else and then got a lesser penalty for drug possession. Got it. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Some of these men weren't imprisoned, but were instead dishonorably discharged from the Navy. Others, like Thomas Brunel and Jeremiah Fowler, deserted. Fair enough. No charges were brought against them, but... 
everybody's lives were in a lot of ways ruined. Absolutely. Oh God, yeah. Would you say nineteen nineteen? Section A's work was secret. The public finally found out about FDR's Newport Sex Squad when John R. Ratham, editor of the Providence Journal, published admonishments of the Navy for arresting Reverend Samuel N. Kent for vagrancy and lewd behavior. Rude. Is he fucking? Going after Kent would mark the beginning of the end for Section A. As one author put it, John Lowry... Mm -hmm the author of a book called The Other Side of Silence, Men's Lives and Gay Identities, A 20th Century History, he put it this way. It was one thing to go after Duke Hawkins, the handsome young black man who waited tables at the Y restaurant. It was quite another to want to bring down an Episcopal minister with a solid reputation among the church hierarchy and citizenry of Newport. Yeah. Kent was 46, a graduate of the Latin School of Boston, and a man who had risked his life to tend to the sick during the flu pandemic of 1918 one year prior. Members of the clergy, like Rhode Island Bishop James DeWolf Perry, couldn't believe that the Kent they knew could be guilty of the 11 counts of lewd and scandalous behavior he was charged with. It's not the problem. You're missing the point. It's not that he couldn't be charged with it. It's It's that it shouldn't be a crime. We're missing the point. I appreciate you standing up for your friend, but there is a point that is being missed. Anyway. Because Kent was a civilian and one in such good standing, his trial brought out into the open all the stuff that Arnold and Section A kept secret. And it had to. The operative's notes and testimony about what happened in, again, exacting detail were the evidence necessary to convict. One operative. But without it, nobody's getting convicted. Right. Which would have been the better choice for everyone involved. Big time. Pretty much, yeah. One operative, Charles Zipf, included this experience with Kent in his report. Kent threw his arms around me and kissed me about the face. Repeatedly tried to put his tongue in my mouth. His hands strayed (laughs) and he felt my penis. Kent made me promise not to say anything to the gang down at the YMCA. It boggles so he my was gay. mind. So he was just, uh, he was just gay. He was just gay, and like he was kind of paying for it, but also it was yeah. pretty po- It was pretty common to pay for it. Regardless, also, it was pretty common to pay for it. Also, pay for sex if you want to pay for sex. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Paying for sex at this time is not an exclusively gay thing. No. No. And it really blows my mind that going into this trial, the government didn't think that a judge and jury would be at all appalled by Section A's practice of using these operatives who were as young as 17 to entrap men into sex acts and were paid to do so by taxpayers. Yep. Wow. But they didn't. They They, they went in. They thought that gays were so repulsive and disgusting and and just horrible just to even think about that everybody would be like, I don't care what happened. They're disgusting. Well, one operative testified that he understood that his instructions from his higher ups were to let Kent play with my penis and to allow it Mm -hmm. until I had an omission. Oh my God. Can you imagine the completion? Can you imagine the completion? 
Yeah, that's probably I the was most told vulgar that thing. him jerked me off until I came. Either that guy was an amazing yeah. actor, or he was loving it. There's, well, I mean, the body can re- the body can react in ways that the mind and that's acting. Yes, wants. Um, that said, the 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 exacting detail, yeah, that went into. I mean, these every single encounter. They were writing up in detail like this. They were mm-hmm, doing their mm-hmm. job. They were just reporting on a on an incident. They yeah, I was told to go report. meet this guy, uh, try to get him, him to suck dick. my dick. Uh, I, I, uh, he wanted me to fuck him, and so I did. And like in this position, in that position, whether or not they came was important somehow for the notes. <laughs> I I'm guess because sure if, if they come, it's a completed act of sodomy. I'm not sure. I guess that yeah. I'm not yeah, sure. I don't know. I'm not sure what the elements of sodomy were at the time. But there was whether or not they came was a big part of the notes. It sure was because why? Uh, I mean, the people reading it, they got to they gotta have their and fan also, fiction. <laughs> a number one. Number one, how yeah, are we going to get this Arnold's fan fiction reading these reports with his hands on his pants and he oh, needs to thank know. You. Oh, Absolutely. Thank you. But it's interesting because part of me agrees with Kevin. Like they had to, they were getting something out of it if they're going to completion. Again, there are circumstances where arousal can happen that has nothing to do. It's just a physical response. But I will say out of a Mm -hmm. group of what, 20, 20 boys, men. Yeah. I don't think it was much of a problem. I think that they didn't hate it maybe as much as they were required to. Because if you truly hated and feared homosexuality, how's your dick getting hard? And then you have to like if and and if you were enjoying it at that time in society, I would imagine I would see myself continuing to say this is terrible, but I'm doing this for my country. Right. I'm going to continue doing it. Absolutely. So you could keep doing it. Kevin, you would have been amazing in the double. I'm very patriotic. You should have been a fucking Navy man in 1919. (laughs) For my country. That's what I was in a past life. (laughs) If you're, you know, pretty mask, if you're being Mm -hmm. told to do it, if you're being in the position of trade, as opposed Mm -hmm. to being the recipient of any of these things. Sure. It's if you are a gay guy in the Navy who meets, who falls into that kind of category of being more right. mask, then, you know, it's a safe way to be gay, but it's Absolutely. also a way that you have to be reporting on other people. Right. Yeah, but you're so filled with internalized shame. If, yeah. if you can even acknowledge it as something that you want, let alone that, like, you're okay with, I think there's that. There's a lot of people. Yeah, no, that makes sense. There's a lot of people who might need some more information about themselves. Yeah. Well, and I, I made a glib reference of like Irvin Arnold reading these reports with his hands down his pants, but I don't want to make the uh, assumption or put forward the idea that all homophobes are closeted homosexuals oh, themselves, no. because I think fair. that that is yes, a, a super harmful um, yeah. Uh, assumption that means that we are responsible for our own oppression, which is not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, Irvin Arnold just hated gay people. He just yeah. hated gay people. And a lot of people just hate gay people. Ted Cruz just hates gay people. Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene just hates gay people. 
Yep. Donald Trump just hates gay people. DeSantis uh, and is pretty people. enough to like him. DeSantis hates gay people. Yeah, but he's yeah. like, he hates them. So, like, just like maybe, maybe too much. He's one that I, I would argue. Lindsey Graham hates gay people and is a gay uh-huh. person, but most yeah. of them yes. <laughs> are. Yes, yes, he is. Yes, he are, is. Are there's straight, always going to no, be right. Santos isn't. I was just saying that because yeah, there's always an exception brave, that proves the rule, boy. and Lindsey Graham yeah. is yeah. that effete little exception that the and all the, the toe mirror universe the evil version of Leslie Jordan. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that is who he is. So at the end of the day, all this stuff comes out. These operatives are going on the stands. People are outraged at what mm-hmm. was happening with Section A. Kent was found not guilty, but it wasn't over. There was a recent war statute that prohibited conduct that led to moral contamination within 10 miles of any military installation. And that was federal law, not state mm-hmm. law. So Kent could be retried under that statute in federal court. Uh-huh. Now, this comes back to Mrs. hinting at, ooh, heterosexuality is also seen as hypersexuality. Because after his first trial, Kent recuperated in Michigan at the Battle Creek Sanitarium, <gasps> the no-fap enema factory that That's John Harvey right. Kellogg ran. And John oh Harvey Kellogg God. is one of those people that thought yeah. that any sex outside of procreation yep. was uh-huh. an example of morbid heterosexuality as opposed to righteous procreation yep he would also sew people's dicks shut to keep them from masturbating and encourage people to put cornflakes in their vulvas yep to keep them from masturbating to make sure that nothing um is pleasurable yeah kellogg was fucked and he made cornflakes so and had there a you go. huge influence and impact on American culture. Oh, Real yeah. bad. He also did a lot of yogurt enemas. It yes, was he weird. Did. Oh, God. Also had like the vibrating enema chair where you'd get yes. it. And yes, you'd get like all the water up your now, ass. Hold on and, now. And then you got to sit on a vibrating chair and literally shit yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. If you're, you're going to be that, bottoming, that's pretty solid. That's that some is. pretty solid preparation. Sure. But wouldn't you want prep. to be on top of a receptacle and not like a metal sheet? It depends on what know. you're into. Really. It depends on what you're into, truly. Not my scene, I guess. So, Reverend Kent is at the NoFap Enema Factory, the Battle right. Creek Sanitarium. Federal agents go there and pick him up and bring him back to Rhode Island. So good. It's so good. Why not? Why not waste your federal tax dollars on a Why guy not? who's already Why found not Why not do guilty? it again? Kent's second trial took place in January 1920. This time he had a kick-ass defense attorney, don't know his name, who laid into Arnold's operatives. Good. Counsel spent a lot of time on the degree to which these operatives asked for and enjoyed the sex they had with the many men that they investigated, as we were talking about. Like, how come mm-hmm. your dick got so hard? How come you came so much? Right. And who told you to go and do all this stuff? So this strategy made the perversions of the operatives, or even more broadly, that these boys were instructed to be perverse by a government that promised their parents it would protect them. By the person who promised them that. 
Right. So this strategy made that a much more important problem than anything Kent may or may not have done. Hmm. 14 clergymen, businessmen, and socialite friends testified on Kent's behalf, and Kent was once again found not guilty. John Ratham of the Providence Journal continued his attack on the Navy, and Ratham had long been against the uh, Secretary of the Navy, Josephus Daniels, and the Woodrow Wilson administration generally for a long Mm. time, and like big respect for anybody hating on Woodrow Wilson. That guy sucked. So this scandal was perfect for him. I'm not sure on what grounds Ratham hated Woodrow Wilson, so like maybe it was for shitty reasons, but fuck Woodrow Wilson. Choose your own adventure. Ratham's coverage sparked public outcry and took the scandal national. And it worked. Secretary Daniels started to fear really bad effects on Navy enlistment. We're not going to get these boys if their moms think they're going to get their dicks sucked and their butts fucked. So even though he didn't want to, he was forced to call for an internal investigation into Section A. Unsurprisingly, two months later, the internal commission was like, what? You know, it was maybe a little much, but it was okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's perfectly fine. We're in the military. But then the U.S. Senate got involved with a way more aggressive investigation. A three-senator committee did the investigating. They went to interview the convicted sailors at a naval prison in New Hampshire. There, Fred Hogue told them that Lieutenant Hudson, one of the leaders of Section A along with Arnold, threatened to make it hard for a friend of his unless Hogue testified that he slept with Reverend Kent. Others said that they were denied lawyers, were beaten while interrogated, and were coached to testify in ways that incriminated themselves and others. Yeah. The committee members met with FDR, as well as Arnold and Hudson, and as many of the now-freaked-out operatives as they could find. The committee's report was made public in 1921, but that was after FDR left office as Assistant Secretary of the Navy and after he ran and lost as a vice presidential candidate on a ticket with James M. Cox, some guy from Ohio. They lost Mm. to Warren G. Harding. Got it. While the internal Navy investigators described FDR's part in the entrapment, which, for what it's worth, FDR always vociferously denied, as ill-advised, the Senate Mm. committee went further. They said his actions were reprehensible. One senator, Henry Keyes of Vermont, urged the release of all men held in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, considering the government's contempt for their due process. That didn't happen. But like, okay, Keyes. Yeah, right. Two of the committee's senators also had thoughts on the government's policy towards homosexuals generally. In what was probably a progressive stance for the time, they noted that, hey, the medical and scientific community believes homosexuality is a disease. And so, they argued, it shouldn't be treated criminally. Mm -hmm. Senator Keyes said, perversion is not a crime, but a disease that should be properly treated in a hospital. So, hate, love that. Not great. Thanks. It is, is he's absolutely right. It was viewed as a disease and considering that view it's a fair and reasonable argument it's a step up and all it's practically 1919 Uh, but the new secretary of the navy absolutely dismissed that proposal Maybe because the whole thing gave the public the grossies the newport scandal left national news pretty quickly We don't really know what happens to most of the young covert operatives of Section A. 
As for the ladies of Newport, by the early 1920s, it looks like all of those who were imprisoned were released and permitted to live as civilians. And let's hope that they found some happiness. FDR himself dismissed any lasting effects of the Newport scandal. He wrote Josephus Daniels, In the long run, neither you nor I have been hurt by this mudslinging. What is the use of fooling any longer with a bunch who have made up their minds that they do not care for the truth and are willing to say anything which they think will help them politically? FGR might as well have posted that on truth fucking social for as say, like it's what you were doing. Reversing <laughs> yeah. like Darvo, like deny, attack, reverse victim and offender, <laughs> how narcissists respond to things. Mm-hmm. By the time FDR ran for governor of New York in 1928 and then for president in 1932, what happened in Newport was long forgotten and remains so by most to this day. The Newport scandal wasn't the last example of homophobia in the military, not by far, but it is one of the first, and one that also involved the nascency of the surveillance state. So it's double uh, fucked up. Yep. Yeah. And that's a bit about the Newport scandal. Oh my goodness. All the gays up in the military. In the All Navy. Military gays in the Navy. Oh, my goodness. Well, Kevin, thank you very much, Edie. That was very were. informable. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad that we could do this it one. Was it was jam-packed with information. It really was? It was just stuff. Now that I'm done with the story. To completion. Left gaping. 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 You're practically prolapsed. I put so much information inside That is true. You. Call FDR right now. What? Get him on the phone. <laughs> Get him on the horn. He's still around. We know he's still around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's still around and he could walk the whole time. He yeah. could. That's right. Well, shit. Thank you very much. Who is next? Miss, I think you're next. It's for me. It's me. I'm going to spoop it up. It's going to be, it's a real, it's a short one, but it's going back to like a cool. happy place. A happy place for me. Yay. I'm excited. Cabbage Patch Kids Part 2. Never, listener. I would <laughs> never. I said ever. a happy place for me. Okay. Yeah, a happy place. Babyland General. No. Those are happy places for Cabbage Patch Kids. Not for Miss. I don't think Ed and Lorraine Warren really get the credit they deserve for being incredible <laughs> grifters and harbingers of oh, doom and satanic panic. Give it up for Ed and Lorraine. That's right. We're going back into the Warren verse of demonic hauntings. And in 2013, The Conjuring was released and told the tale of the Perrin family. Lorraine and Warren were actually, uh, I'm sorry, Lorraine Warren was actually a consultant on the film and wouldn't allow for any unnecessary dramatization. So The Conjuring is basically a documentary. It's basically a documentary. Wait, Mm -hmm. who's in The Conjuring? Patrick Wilson. Yeah, Vera Farmiga. No, I thought that's Insidious, isn't it? No, he's in both. No, he's in both. What? And then Burger from Sex and the City. It is Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. They play play them in a bunch of films. Conjuring, Annabelle. It's the Conjuring universe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. All the spinoffs. 
Today, I am going to tell the true story of the Perrin family haunting. Ooh, yay. In 1970, Roger Perrin was financially strapped truck driver and was thrilled when his wife found them an affordable home with room for the whole family. In January 1971, Roger and his wife, Carolyn, moved themselves and their five daughters, Andrea, wow. Nancy, Cindy, Christine, and April, to a 14-room farmhouse in rural Harrisville, Rhode Island. And it was yeah. named the Arnold Estate. Oh. The Arnold Estate. Mm-hmm. The property had 200 acres, and the house was way secluded back from the, the road. But nearly <laughs> immediately after moving in, strange shit started happening. Nothing big at first. Carolyn would notice that a broom would go missing or when, you know, she sweeps the kitchen, puts the broom down and then goes to get the dustpan and then the broom is suddenly nowhere near where she left it. Yeah. Or she would hear the kettle go on in the kitchen when no one else was home um, and she would find small piles of dirt in the middle of freshly cleaned floors, which makes me angry on a level I wasn't expecting to feel yeah. when I read that. <laughs> I live in an old apartment. It's a house that was formed into two apartments and everything is old. So when I clean and I have been cleaning this week, I don't get any of like the visual aesthetic benefits from that, which like I right. crave because there are cracks and tiles and there are dark spots that are stained no matter how many fucking magic erasers. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> so if we want to torture you, we will little place of dirt. a little pile of dirt in the middle of your Listen, kitchen. If Done. my kitchen, if nothing has been cleaned in a while, you can put your little piles of dirt wherever you want. I don't care. I'm a trash person. It's fine. I love the pettiness of ghosts in these types of haunting. It's like it is oh, it's so petty. You thought you needed this broom? It fuck mine. you and fuck your broom. Mine. The family, though, instinctively knew that they were not alone. To quote Andrea, the oldest daughter, when you're a little girl and you question your own sanity, when you can't even believe what you just saw, you're naturally afraid to tell anyone else about a supernatural event. You don't want your family to think you've lost your mind or worse yet, lying. It's a lot of pressure to put on a child. I think Ed Warren was certainly justified in his concern about us, the children, my father just wanted them to go away and to pretend like none of this was real, just a figment of our imagination, but it started happening to him too, and we couldn't deny it anymore. We all experienced encounters with the spirits. Some were unpleasant, some were lovely, cordial, and communicative. From benign to benevolent, to oblivious to mean-spirited, the spirits were just like us, a wide variety of personalities. What I can understand that. Just like a delightsome interaction with the spirit look like? like well, oh. the youngest girl, April, she was friends with a spirit named Oliver, who was just a little boy. And all of her older sisters were in school. So she was like four or five and home all day with her mom. So when mom was doing what mom's doing, she had a friend to play with. She said it was never scary. He was just dressed old-fashioned, like in old-fashioned clothes. Mm -hmm. they, they would just spend the afternoon playing together. Oh, that's cute. 
right? right like it's cute. It, I like that. It's like, and I guess it would be, the, it's the same thing as an imaginary friend at this point. You, sure. You might say that it was an imaginary friend. Well, yeah, sure. Depending you, on your point you of might, view. You might, but. One might. Since one might, but I wouldn't because I implicitly Live trust Ed and Lorraine Warren. Absolutely. <laughs> At this point, Caroline was interested to know more about their obviously haunted 18th century farmhouse. Some sources dated it as 1693, the year all of the Salem witches were hung. Oh, yeah. I mean, convenient, but Yeah, but I think it's more likely another source was talking about 1736, so that could be it too. Not even like a huge difference. It's 40 years. Yeah, I mean, that's still like freaky old. It is. She found that the house had been in the Arnold family for eight generations before she and her husband bought it. All of the family members who lived in that house died under mysterious or violent circumstances or took their own lives. And many children drowned in the creek near the house. Mm. Specifically, the matriarch of the Arnold family was found hanging in the barn, having broken her neck from hanging in 1797 when she was 93 years old. I mean, I'm 93 in the 1700s. I'm I'm done. I mean, here's the thing. I'm done. Understood. I've been alive since 1700. I'm done. But another part of me is like, even those who weren't religious believed that killing yourself, taking your own life was the biggest sin you could commit. It was the yeah. biggest sin against God. And that makes me question it. And also this was well-documented at mm. the time. So I don't know. It just, it, honestly, what is the most surprising thing is that a 93 year old woman had the energy and the skill to climb a tree and hang herself. She lived in 93 in the 1700s tough bitch that's fair she's got to be a tough bitch yeah local legend also says a woman named Bathsheba Sherman lived Mm -hmm. on the Arnold estate uh, where the farmhouse was located but she did not live in the home Bathsheba lived a miserable life as was custom of the time she was born in 1812 and later married Judson Sherman in Connecticut and three of her four children died before the age of four A local historian told Carolyn of Bathsheba Sherman and that she uh, was also known to enjoy starving and beating her farmhands, which often included enslaved people. I mean, okay, Bathsheba, I was on your side for a while. You have a bitchin' name. Sad story about losing your kids, but like, man, fuck you. That's some sadistic bullshit. As a newlywed, Bathsheba was, oh, and she didn't get married till she was 32. And apparently she was like hot, like the hottest girl in town. And she finally She'd have settled. to be hot if somebody married her at 32 at 32. this time. That's true. 32, like not, not, like not joking. You were past childbearing age at that point. Like she obviously had kids, but like to start in your 30s was nearly unheard yeah, of. Yeah, she, she must have had it yeah. big time. Yeah. As a newlywed, she was babysitting her neighbor's son when he died. The local doctor determined that the child's skull had been impaled with a small tool, like a hat pin or a needle. Oh, Mm. hat pin, future subject of Mm -hmm. the pod. 
hat pin as Favored weapon. weapon of the enterprising lady. Oh, my goodness. The doctor determined that he was impaled. Uh, she was acquitted of wrongdoing before it even reached trial. But um, the town had already judged her and found her guilty of killing this child. So right. her miserable life just continued more miserable. Years later, when Bathsheba's surviving son died, Bathsheba's husband claimed that he caught her in the act of stabbing him with a long, a long thin instrument. He mm. also said that he witnessed her vow allegiance to the devil and <laughs> climbed, okay. yeah, right. <laughs> climbed the, the same tree where Mrs. Arnold died and hung herself. I mean, big if true. Mr. That's Sherman. a big if true. Yeah. So that was supposed to have happened in 1849. There is a tombstone of Bathsheba Sherman and her husband. They did live, but she died of like pneumonia in like 1885. She didn't hang oh. herself in 1849. This could be oh, a different Bathsheba wow. Sherman. How many Bathsheba Shermans could there, there be? Could rural have been a Harrison, of them. In rural Harrisville, town. Rhode Island. There could have been some double so Rhode many. Island stories. By the way, today yeah. is category yeah, right. yes. Rhode Island. Look at the us. fucking. What is it? It is the uh, telepathic triangle. Yeah, that's of right. Trust. The telepathic triangle of trust, right here. Kevin, you're not you're not doing it. You're not doing oh, the I'm hands sorry. motion. I'm Rubbing sorry. his eyes like a dum dum. There we go. That's right. Legend, tall tale, true story, whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said, there are a lot of spirits in the house, um, but the only one who identified themselves was Oliver Richardson, who was the young boy I was talking about. He befriended the youngest child, April. And I think April was the only one who saw Oliver. I don't think the other children did. But Cindy... Convenient, April. Cindy, another child, was able to see multiple spirits roaming the house. Cindy and April, I think, were the youngest. And one time, Cindy wanted to go outside and play and tried to invite... Told April to invite the spirits and... Um, Oliver told April that they can't leave the house. They were trapped in the house. So, I mean, could that. be, and also could be April being like, no, he's my imaginary friend. You Definitely. can't play with him. <laughs> Definitely. Andrea, meanwhile, she's the oldest, was also not making friends with the ghost. I think she was a teenager. She was being visited nightly by a malevolent female spirit with a bent neck she just assumed was from being hanged. Bent neck lady. Uh -huh. Bent neck lady. That's right. Andrea believed this particular spirit wanted to possess her mother and kill her sisters. Quote, whoever the spirit was, she perceived herself to be the mistress of the house and she resented the competition my mother posed for that position. End quote. At random times, family members would smell rotting fish or rotting flesh. Cindy's bed would rise from the floor, the whole thing, frame and all, before slamming back down. Almost, I think all of the family members witnessed this. At least most of them did. And then Roger reported a cold, stinking presence behind him whenever he was in the basement. Mm -hmm. Roger, I don't like how you're talking about me. 
an asshole. It's a it's a glandular thing, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> glandular. I just keep thinking about how that's a funny word, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> Some spirits would act up and make loud noises for attention when guests were around. Apparently, a father, son, and dog trio would appear at the stop of the top of the staircase and stare at a wall as if it was a window while never making eye contact with the parents. While every member of the family experienced the many spirits living in the home, Carolyn and Cindy seemed to take the worst of it. Cindy saw the broken neck lady a lot, but she didn't just appear. She would say over and over again, come to me, little girl, like over and over and over again. No, I'm good. The spirit also would grab at her ankles while she was sleeping and on multiple occasions didn't just grab her ankle, but pulled her out of bed and dragged her down the hallway and down the stairs into the living room. (laughs) Apparently with witnesses. No. The same spirit almost killed Cindy one night when she was taking a bath and the spirit forcefully held her head underwater until she passed out. They're hitting all the classic horror movie haunting tropes. Mm-hmm. I you mean, got a yeah. bathtub thing. You got a dragged out of bed down the stairs thing. You yeah. got to come to me, little girl. Mm-hmm. Now, when Roger was alone, he would feel hands on the small of his back and hear sweet nothings whispered in his ears. And uh, that's got to be unsettling for a straight man in the 70s. Um <laughs> to be gently pursued by a spirit. Look, it's, it's hard to date when you're dead, you know? I mean, at least this one's being just, you know, just like a casual touch at the lower back, just a, Hey there, how you doing out stuff? What are you doing? (laughs) What are you up to tonight? The spirit appeared to Carolyn, uh, the malevolent spirit every day at 5 15 AM to terrorize her with visions. A lot of the time, the visions were of Carolyn's own hands, but with the flesh, like watching it, like flay off. No, no thanks. They call that degloving. Wait, why is that a thing? That's a thing that has a name. Yes, it does. It can happen to on the, on the, Finger by finger, if your ring gets caught on something and comes off, and it can happen to the whole hand. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Degloving. Good. Keep it in, Kevin. I guess I will. She was (laughs) laying next to Roger the whole time, and she would scream and scream and scream, but he could never hear her. Then, randomly, on October 30th, 1973, strangers showed up to their home. They informed Carolyn that they had heard news from others that the family was being haunted and they wanted to help. Mm -hmm. They were Ed and Lorraine Warren. And just not to get it twisted, nobody in the family called Ed and Lorraine Warren. Nobody knew. They had no idea who they were, what they did, or anything like that. But... Nonetheless, while Lorraine helped on the set of The Conjuring to make sure the movie held true, Andrea Perrin says at least 90% of the movie is based on Ed and Lorraine's case files and are completely made up. 90% of it easily. 
Yeah, well, 90% are from Ed and Lorraine's case files that are 100% true because Ed and Lorraine Warren are the heroes of their and everyone's story. Well, it's the Conjuring universe. That's right. They've created a whole universe. They've conjured it up. That's right. At this point, the haunting had been going on for two years, and Carolyn was usually covered in bruises because she was being violently attacked by the malevolent spirit. She wasn't sleeping, and her children were being haunted. I'd say at this point she was welcome to any kind of help. As soon as she entered the house, Lorraine placed her hand on the old black stove, covered her eyes, and said, I sense a malignant presence in this house. Her name is Bathsheba. Okay. She did a little bit of looking around and saw a gravestone. With a name that sounded cool and evil, Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Man, fucking Lorraine. This gained Carolyn's trust immediately. And of she course. believed Lorraine when she was told that all of their trouble was coming from Bathsheba alone. In 1974, after one of many visits unannounced from the Warrens. God, can you imagine? At the earth, No. At the urging of Lorraine, they conducted a seance, hoping to get Bathsheba to leave the family alone. Now, in the movie, this is an exorcism, but that didn't happen. So during the seance, Carolyn lost control of her body, and she started contorting contorting into unbelievable positions. And she ended in a tight ball on her chair. And her scream was so shocking that Andrea, who was not supposed to be involved, but was watching from another room, believed that she had died. Wow. Then Carolyn started speaking in an unknown language in a voice that was did not belong to her. When she was done, the chair she was on levitated to eye level and spun around before she was viciously thrown across the room into a wall. And while Carolyn was laying on the floor, her head was slammed into the floor over and over and over again. Oof. Everyone agreed, though, that this was not the spirit of Bathsheba. I tried to find more about the seance specifically or how they were so certain that it wasn't Bathsheba, but apparently the energy was different. Luckily, when she regained consciousness, she was herself. Uh, She had been quote-unquote, possessed for over seven minutes. After she gained consciousness, I should say, Roger stopped the seance and kicked the Warrens out of the house for good, told them they could never come back, and they didn't. Good job, Roger. A short while after the seance, the haunting and ghost activity ceased altogether, though the family holds firm to this day that it was not because of the Warrens. The Warrens gained fame from being staunchly Catholic paranormal investigators. Lorraine was a strong clairvoyant. Ed called himself a demonologist. So one thing that can be said for them, for better or worse, is I think that they believed their bullshit. I also think that they were grifters and understood that they were profiting off the suffering of other people, whether it was truly spiritual or not. Part of me thinks those two things can exist at the same time. Yeah, they probably can. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, the parents were not Catholic. They weren't religious. They barely went to church. Most of them were completely skeptical to this day of the Warrens' supposed abilities and beliefs. The Warrens later documented that they were ill-prepared for the seance. Lorraine told Andrea 
you know, there was like a pre-showing before the movie was formally released, told Andrea when the movie was released that she and Ed were in over their heads. They just didn't know it at the time. That's what you want to tell them. Yeah, right. But today, the parents firmly believe that they were haunted by not Bathsheba, but by Mrs. Arnold and have become fierce defenders of Bathsheba Sherman because they think that she was different and that she was accused of murdering a baby with a needle. She never outgrew that and she suffered immensely because of it. And plus, nothing lines up with her suicide, giving her the broken neck lady storyline. She died 26 years after that story says she did. There's nothing of record to show that she harmed a stranger's baby or her own, as was also reported. So for now, they believe firmly it wasn't Bathsheba, but that it was Mrs. Arnold, the 93-year-old who hanged herself um, on the same tree. But that is the story of the parent family haunting the useless intervention of the Warrens, but a family who I don't believe was hoodwinked into believing they were haunted or was doing it for money. Right. Anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they felt that something scary was happening. Firmly every single one of them, Roger until the day he died, but every single one of them, all five sisters and the mother believe absolutely that they were haunted and that they lived with spirits and the media and things report that this happened in a very short time and they got out of there the second they could. They lived there for 10 years and they lived there for five years after the seance. There was no rush. All of them except Cindy, the one who was almost drowned, said that they would live in that house today if they could. They loved the house. But they truly believe that they were haunted. They talk about it like it's real. And who knows? This seems like the least fake haunting I've covered in a while. Yeah, there was some there was some (laughs) stuff that happened that they that they report happening that seems pretty tough to fake. Yeah, the, the tough thing to reconcile. This one for me is that there are so many witnesses. And like now, 40, 50 years later, not a single one of those sisters is like, nah, we were making this shit up. So interesting. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Great story, Miss. Oh, thank you, Miss, for bringing us Please. another uh story of a haunting and unnecessary intervention by Ed and Lorraine <laughs> Warren. They yeah. love to insert themselves. I just love it. Like every, like a lot of sources are like, so they didn't know what to do. So they called the Warrens. And then like you read like legitimate sources from Andrea, police statements that later happened. No, they showed up. They were not invited. We don't even know how they found out the about Warrens it. show up. Because, I feel like they, they mm-hmm. like look into, uh, weird police reports or they just like keep their little ears to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kev, what did you think of our uh, Rhode Island tales today? So funny. I, I, I gotta say it was, um, I love that we always find some kind of connection. So the Rhode Island bit is great. I loved Edie's story because it's just too wild not to not know yeah. for us as queers. That's just wild. And I am a fan of, 
like horror movies. So the Conjuring story really is good for me as well. So that's really cool. I enjoyed it very much. Oh, thanks. But yeah, um, like beyond my opinions, which really don't matter. Come on they now. Matter. Kevin, what about our listeners? Oh no, our listeners' opinions matter way more. And by that, Miss, where could our listeners find us to contact us and let us know how they like these stories? Well, if you're interested, hit us up on Instagram at Creepy Inquiries Pod. You can also send us an email at creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com. If you have any of your own haunting stories or your own gay Navy stories, why don't you send us an email? Just let us know. Keep us on track. Creepyinquiriespod <laughs> at gmail.com. And then also, if you're ever interested in our sources, I post them each week at creepyinquiriespod.com. And then if you got a minute, you can head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this cute little show and give us a nice little rate and review. We really appreciate it. It helps us out. Five stars or I will personally dispatch the ghosts of Ed and Lorraine Warren to your house. <laughs> the scariest motherfuckers to ever be in ghost form. And you just don't want that. So just the five stars will do, listener. Thank you so much in advance. Listener, thank you so much for joining us for episode 86, the George Takei-aged episode. Hey! Oh, yes! I love that. And until next time... Peace!